excited to open up Ephesians again and carry on with this um, series. I want to just say something that I mean from the heart, and it's this, is that Christian doctrine holds together perfectly. It holds together perfectly. The teaching of the Bible explains both the conundrum of the human condition and the solution to it in a way that is incomparable with any other school of thought. The teaching of the Bible outstrips every other philosophy, belief system and religion that ever has been or ever will be. The way the Bible talks about who we are, where we find ourselves and when we are going is completely unique and completely trustworthy. And I want to just say that at the start so you know that um, what's coming here is not, just, is not an opinion. It would be awfully arrogant for someone to stand up here with a microphone and try to address 100, 150 people with their opinion. That would be really proud and, and out of order. And I'd never dream of doing that. This is the word of God. And it is the truth and it sets us free. And we need to know that before we look at this stuff. The passage we're going to look at today... Um, will give us some of the most insightful words ever written on the human condition and God's response to it. Before we read it, I want, to just, uh, want us to remember together what Paul is doing in this part of the letter to the Ephesians. He's writing from prison and he's spoken about the incredible ways that God has blessed us in Christ. He's spoken about the multitude of ways, word upon word, layer upon layer, of where we find ourselves in terms of a blessing before God through being united to Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, I'm praying for you, I'm praying that God will give you his spirit more and more that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you would know um, number one, the hope to which you have been called that in Christ you have a bright future number two, that you would know the wonder the glorious riches of the fact that you Christians are God's own inheritance that you are the thing that he has promised himself for the future and then he goes on to say and I'm praying that you would know the power that is at work towards you the power that, 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 that the um, immeasurable power that is aimed towards you in God so it can't be measured but remember what he says he says though it can't be measured it's in accordance with or in proportion to what he did when he raised his son from the dead and seated him above all powers and all names in this age and the age to come and gave him the name that's above every name um, and put all things under his feet in the power that he exerted in doing that for his son Jesus in raising him from the dead and exalting him his power at work towards you is in proportion to that do you remember that? And then, and then what then goes on is that he then wants his mind then goes to the fact that, that, that this is exactly what has happened to us. And uh, the passage from chapter two, verse, verses one to ten, explains how, in in a remarkable way, what has happened to Jesus, what the Father has done to the Son, the Father has done to believers. So we're going to look at that now. So we're going to read together. It should come up. I don't know what the size of the print will be like on this thing today. Um, if, if anything would even, would even come up oh, who knows uh, it's fun and games here we love you guys on PA you're doing a great job doing a great job not easy to adapt um, is it best to just crack on Ruth? ok um, here we go so I'm going to read the first ten verses from um, chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians remember he's just said God's power at work in you is, this, is in proportion to what he did in raising his son, Jesus, from the dead to the highest place. Now listen. And you were dead. 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable, there it is again, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not as a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them Father thank you for these amazing words I just pray for mercy really Lord in trying to communicate this truth I pray for real mercy and grace I've got nothing else to stand on before you We've got nothing else to stand on, nothing else to commend ourselves with before you. But thank you that you are rich in mercy because of the great love with which you love us. And we appeal to you, Lord, for great mercy in the speaking and in the hearing of your word. Amen. Amen. I'm going to just go through this verse by verse. It's so rich, it's really ten sermons. I'm going to do my best. Um, I don't know why on earth I planned to do this in one week. Um, I don't know what I was thinking. But um, we're going to go on anyway. So, verse number one. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Verse two. This, this, word, um, this word trespass means side slip. That's what it means really there. If you trespass, you, you slip to the side. There, if, you, you, if you read the Bible, you'll find there's often this phrase given about not turning to the right or the left. And it's, it's talking about walking with a, with a fixed gaze towards God. And so to trespass is to go to the right or to the left. That's what. And the word sin means missing the mark. Originally it was like an archery term where you're going for the bullseye, but you miss the mark. So, so Paul is saying to the Ephesians, you were dead... In your trespasses, in your slipping to the left and to the right, and in your missing the mark, you were dead. Now he's not writing to a people that have ever been physically dead. So he's talking about a different kind of death than which he's referred to Jesus. God raised Jesus from the physical death. This is a different kind of death, but he uses the same word. You were dead. In your slipping here and slipping there and missing the mark, you were in a, in a, in a condition of spiritual death. And he's comparing it, remember, to the state that Jesus was in. Jesus was laid waste by sin, if you like, at the cross. Jesus was actually dead. If you read John's Gospel, this thing about piercing him, this Roman soldier who pierced him, and out came the blood and the water separate, and um, as a result, they knew he was dead, and there was no need to break his legs, as they did the other two criminals. They, they, they broke the other one's legs in order they would die quicker, um, so they could take their bodies down before the Passover. They came to Jesus, they pierced his side, blood and water came out separately, he was dead. There was no need to do that. Jesus was dead. Paul says, you were dead. Not physically, but you were just as dead, in a sense, as Jesus was. He's speaking to these Ephesians. It's a word that comes into our hearts. 
Trespasses and sins kill us. And to live in them is to live in spiritual death. That's what the Bible teaches. From Eden until now. From the right from the Garden of Eden till now. The lesson remains. It's, um, there are complex factors around sin. Uh, many things go on internally, externally, that cause us to slip to the right or slip to the left or miss the mark. But the bottom line is this. Sin will kill you. The Bible is very, very clear on that right the way through. You're playing with fire when you play with sin. And Paul says, you've all done it. You've all missed the mark. You've all slipped to the left or to the right. Verse 2. In which you once walked. Now this is very interesting. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's saying you were following two things. You were following, the first thing he says, the course of this world. So he's, what he's saying, he's saying, he's saying everyone does it. It's very normal. It's really normal to slip and slide to the left and to the right. It's really normal. It's normal to miss the mark. Everyone does it. In fact, if you ever get in a conversation with someone who maybe is interested about Christianity and you say things like, you know, um, the things that we do wrong are really serious before God, very often the response will be, but everyone does it. Yep. Bible. Bible truth. <laughs> everyone does it. That's what it says. You were following the course of this world. It's what everyone does. In, in the truest sense, no one is magnetic north, in the truest sense. We've all slipped to the left, to the right, we've all missed the mark. Exactly. But he also says, and oh by the way, as well as everyone does it, it's also following the devil. That's who he means when he says the prince of the power of the air. So it's an extraordinary truth. What he's saying is this thing. Living in sins and trespasses has these two things about it. On the one hand, it feels really normal. Everyone does it. It's got, it feels really, really normal. Very every day. On the other hand, it's sinister and disastrous and murderous. This is, let me give some illustrations to maybe help you understand why on the, on the one hand sin can seem so harmless, so normal, and every, so every day, and yet when pursued, why it causes such destruction. So maybe you say a harsh word. Maybe you say a harsh word to one of your siblings. You've got a little bit of resentment in your heart towards one of your siblings. Sin. But, you know, who hasn't? Sibling rivalry. Who hasn't? So you say a little harsh word. Out of a little bit of resentment. And sets into motion a spiral of hostilities. And whole family breakdown where no one speaks for years. And you can think, what happened there? What happened? This is chaos. And everyone goes, that's crazy. But no one has had to fix it. And everyone's so far away from each other now. But you think, what happened there? What was so normal? It was so every day. Everyone does it. It's the prince of the power of the air. Yes, but it's dark. Or maybe another illustration. A sip or two too much at the office party. Just, I didn't drink as much as them. But a sip or two too much. Sin. And we can have anything from careless, sackable words spoken, and on film now with the phones, to a barbell, to an unwanted pregnancy. But that was so every day. It was everyone. Yeah. So normal. Or is another one. This one's a bit extreme, but I, I'm sure there are people on the planet right now that this is this is what happened. Burning the candle at both ends, refusing to rest over sustained periods of time, sin, and then falling asleep at the wheel and running over someone, and then five years in prison for careless driving. But we were all working too hard. Everyone was acting. It was the culture. It was it was what it was. You see. This is how it works. It's the course of this world. It's just what everyone does. 
So it can, we can get so desensitized to it, it becomes, so, it becomes normal. But behind it, there is the energetic work of evil. Just that little thing there. Just, yeah, don't mind about that. Just, yeah, just put a spin on that. Just, but then the chaos that ensues. It's really serious stuff. This is the Bible teaching on sin and how it works. I'm just unpacking what it says here. And it gives this phrase, sons of disobedience. That he's at work in the sons of disobedience. It's almost this idea that, you know, when we're in our sins and trespasses, that it's like we spring from disobedience. It's, it's our source. It's, it's, we, we bear the family, the family marks. Um, now, I'm talking here about universal sin, which you might think, this is so out of date. This is so antiqu- antiquated. Why would you be talking about this in 21st century London, for goodness sake? Well, I will say this, that psychoanalysts are still puzzling over this tendency in people to, to go down these destructive paths. It doesn't make sense. Either self-destructive or destructive to others and loved ones. So it's a very, very, it's a very modern problem. But, just, but the biblical language can seem old-fashioned, but it's nothing old-fashioned about it. It's very, very common stuff. So Paul said, this is, this, is, this is where you were at. And then he goes on, verse 3, in case they start thinking, hold on, Paul, how can you, how can you say this about us? He goes on, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Paul says, I was just the same. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. He's saying, we're all at it. And now, now hold on a minute, think a minute. Paul, if you don't know much about the Bible, you've got to know this. Paul, before he was a Christian, was the most religiously perfect person you could imagine. He describes himself as legalistically blameless. Blameless. He kept the law and some. Perfectly. And yet here he's describing himself as just the same as you. In trespasses, in sins, carrying out the desires of the flesh and the mind. You think, but hold on Paul, you weren't getting drunk. Hold on Paul, you would have kept the Sabbath. You wouldn't have been burning the candle at both ends. You would have kept the Sabbath religiously once a week. Hold on a minute. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Sinfulness manifests itself in very different ways in very different people. For Paul it would have been self-righteousness. Just this sense of, I'm not like those drunkards. I'm not like those people who don't keep the Sabbath. I'm different. I'm godly. And Paul now he's met Jesus. He looks at that kind of thinking and he goes, Oh, sin and trespass. Spiritual pride. Ugly. And so he lumps himself in with these mostly Gentiles who would have just been, their lifestyles would have been the worst, the most different opposite thing from Paul's you can imagine. But he lumps himself in with them and he says, you know what, we're all in the same boat. We are all in the same boat. This is humanity. This is where we are all at. Charles Spurgeon, a very famous preacher in London, a little while ago now, said this, whoever doubts human depravity had better begin to study himself. (laughs) If you doubt the truth of this, just have a bit of time with yourself and uh, be sober about it. And you'll see see yourself do things and say things, particularly when the pressure's on, particularly when you really want something, particularly when you really don't want something. The things that come out of you think, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It can be stuff that's, 
No one else even notices, but you, you, you realise that it's, that it's there. Like the rest of mankind. There is more in common than what separates us. We have, all of us, have much more in common than what separates us. I know we're big now on individual personalities, and that's all fine, that's all great, and it's all true. But actually, we have more in common than what separates us. But that's a masterstroke of God's grace. Do you know why? Here's why. Because we've all got the same disease, the one cure can cure us all. If it was 101 diseases, we're in trouble. Imagine that, you think, oh great, I'm glad you found Jesus, but what's going to help me? Oh, Jesus. Why? Well, how comes? Because we've got the same problem, we've all got the same disease. And it's the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus that will bring life to those who are dead in their sins, the Bible teaches. That somehow, this thing, you look at the cross, you think, how? It's, it's, it can seem, seems foolish, it seems ridiculous. The Bible says that it's actually God deliberately chose a way that would make people go, what? Someone died on a cross? Why? Why would God choose a way like that? To subvert human pride. To subvert, to deliberately pull the rug out from human, puffed up, we'll figure it out. No, you won't. This is God's answer. His son dying on a cross. Tell you what, you may not be able to, how can I put it, you may not be able to plumb every detail of it, but the Bible gives us, tells us enough about what happened on that cross for us to be able to clean, cry out to Jesus and receive power and deliverance from the rule and reign of sin over our lives. Wonderful. But I'm jumping ahead because I'm getting excited. We'll get to that in a minute. I want to point out this thing here about passions and desires. Carrying out the passions and desires of the flesh and the mind. Um, so it's very natural. They're just they're, they're these desires, these longings we have within us. For, for prestige, for respect, for love. Some of the desires in and of themselves aren't, aren't even wrong, but, but they, they become inordinately powerful in us. They, 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 be, they, they take over and we become enslaved to longing for certain things. If I could just have that person. If I could just have that job. If I could just feel that loved. If I could, and they become things that, that, that become our, the thing that we are all about. Um, and the Bible describes that as worship. That's the issue, that, that that becomes the thing that our mind is caught up with and that our heart longs for more than anything else. And yet that thing can never satisfy at the longings of our heart. In, that, in our depths, only he can. And actually he is the one who deserves the prime, the prime place of the human heart. And so it's, it's, and this is why this word children of wrath is used. It's like God's wrath is aroused by it. Why? Because of the great love with which he loves us. Because he delights in the work of his hands and that he has made us and loves us dearly. And so his wrath is aroused by us going after these things. The Bible describes it as spiritual adultery. It's just going after, whoring after these things that promise so much but deliver so little. This is the teaching of the Bible. Quite a bleak picture. Painted of humanity outside of grace. We must let this teaching help us uh, help to critique sometimes our tolerance of darkness. We're a very, very tolerant culture. There are elements about that that aren't bad. There are other elements that really are. If you, if you read in the book of Revelation, there are seven letters written to seven churches. Five of them get a telling off, as well as encouragements. Two don't get a telling off at all. If you look at the five that get told off, Probably the most frequent thing they get told off for is tolerance. They tolerate things in the life of the church that will eat that church up. 
They tolerate really nasty, horrible ideas and teachings that, that end up dragging people away from the truth. They tolerate lifestyles and things that are just, it's just really dark and it kills and destroys people. And, and, and so we need to realise actually that, that, that sin creates, um, sin triggers wrath in the heart of God. And that actually will help us. It will help us to have a healthy repulsion to darkness. Not just, oh, I better not. I better not in case someone finds out. <laughs> but actually an internal thing. So, oh, I don't want that. I, I, want, I want the light. I don't want that. It will help us not to just become squeezed into the shape of this age, this world. And be able to actually be instead transformed by the renewing of our mind. When we see things for what they are and say, that's horrible. Say it graciously. <laughs> we say, I don't want that. And this is a real We need God to help us with this. We really, those of us who are here who call ourselves believers, we really need God's help in this. Because it's just, um, it's very countercultural. First of all, let's get to it quick. About God. About God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which. Because of the great love with which he loved us. What a wonderful thing. Being rich in mercy. That, those two words, but God, changes everything. Always changes everything, okay? God says, what a state, I'm going to do something about this. But God. With God, mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment is due, but mercy triumphs. That's why you, saw, you find in the Bible people praying things like, Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. Because God loves to triumph even over his own judgment with mercy, which is what the, picture, which is what the cross shows us there. But it's not an easy thing. It's not just he's, oh yeah, God, he's, he's cool with that. He's not cool with that. Look at the cross. Look what it cost him to give up his only son to death. It's a huge thing. And yet, though, his mercy does triumph over judgment because of his great love for us. I want to just talk to you for a moment about the embarrassment of living life by God's mercy. It is an embarrassing... Do you feel embarrassed? You should feel embarrassed regularly. If you regularly feel embarrassed, you're probably understanding the grace of God. That fundamentally, we live with egg on our face. If you're not from England, that's a phrase which basically means you've stuffed it and everyone knows. Egg on your face. The Christian life is basically, God, I need mercy and grace today. And God's saying, yes, in Jesus Christ, it's brand new for you every morning. But learning to live in that is huge. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's not a natural thing for our mind to get around. We like to get started with mercy and grace. Yeah, I was in a real pit, Lord, and you, you pulled me out, but now you've pulled me out. Yeah, all right, well, now I sh- should be okay. <laughs> Thanks. It's not, actually, it's not actually how the Bible talks about the Christian life. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I want you to learn to abide in me and live and draw on my mercy and my grace continually. Living by, living by the mercy of God is an embarrassing thing. I'm back again, Lord. I need mercy again this morning. Absolutely, here you go. I need grace to empower me. Here you go. That's gospel living. That's gospel living. Living by his favour and by the energy that he, that he gives us. The wonder of receiving his love. Why is God so merciful? Because of the great love with which he loved us. The mighty love with which God loves you. Out of that springs his mercy. It's not like, oh, I'm better. I'm God. I keep singing about how merciful I'm, I'm better. No, 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 because of the great love with which he loves us. Wonderful. 
Verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You must be born from above. You must be born of the Spirit. You know, if you want to know God today, you've got to experience that resurrection, that touch from God. Well, you cry out to Jesus and he makes you brand new. And you can say, I'm born again, I know it, it's happened, I've changed, I'm not who I once was, I'm a new creation in Christ. That's what God does here. He gives us mercy and he raises us to life with Christ. He's emphatic, by grace, by God's undeserved favour have you been rescued. May we never ever, as individuals or as a church, come to a place where there's spiritual pride. Where we somehow think, well yeah, we've kind of got this thing sewn up now. No, never. God keep us from that. God keep us from that. By grace you have been rescued. Oh, it's good to hear, isn't it? Not just, not just raised to life, verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is amazing. Verse 6, exalted with Jesus. What does it mean? To be exalted means you have a place of honour and you're in a place of authority. You're in a place of honour and authority so that you can do two things. Number one, so that you can serve other people securely. You've no longer got to try and show that you're one step ahead or show that you know better or show that somehow you're in some way superior. No, no, God has raised you with Christ. You've got nothing to prove. Now you can serve. Now you can prefer others. Now you can, if necessary, take the lowest place. Now you can, like Jesus, take off your robe, wrap it around your waist and wash the feet of the saints. Now you can do that. Why? Because you, if, that, if you read that story in, in the Gospels, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given everything into his hands, then he did that. And when you know I've been raised with Christ, you are released and set free to securely serve other people. And pour out your life for others. And leave your cause with him. And leave him to, leave him to honour you and to, and to, and to uh, put you in a place where, you know, where, where people might say, haven't you done well? He can do all that. He's already put you across. You can serve others. And also authority to tread on serpents. It's not authority to tread on people and serve serpents. It's authority to serve people and tread on serpents. Okay, so it doesn't mean now I'm a Christian, I just serve people, I'm just really kind of meek the whole time. No, when it comes to praying, and when it comes to dealing with darkness, and when it comes to, when it comes to matters of justice and mercy and light, there's a militance in our spirit, and we're going we're gonna to take Jesus at his word when he says, you're going to be able to tread on serpents. Absolutely. That the God of peace will most certainly crush Satan under our feet. That's what the Bible says. It's an amazing prayer. We pray that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. Not his feet, under our feet. It's brought us into this place of authority. So our praying must have this mark about it. Not standing for just the evil powers to run riot. No. No more. No more. We pray from a place of being seated with Christ. Exalted with him at his right hand. We pray with authority. Amen. Take this stuff real seriously. You haven't got to jump when sin says jump. You may be used to jumping when sin says jump, but you haven't got to. Why? You've been raised with Christ. And he's above every other name. You're above the realm of sin. We all have indwelling sin till the day we die, but you're not under the realm or governing power of sin anymore. You've been released from that through being joined to Jesus.
Amen. Verses eight, verses seven. So that in the so 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 that what's, why has God done all this? So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. One of those classic Paul sentences. Dunk dunk dunk. It's just so many different amazing words. You think what's He said? What he said is this, God has done all this so that from this point on, right through to eternity, God can say, look how kind I've been to these people. Look at my treasures. Look at, look at these transformed lives. Look at these people made brand new in Christ. And as a result of this, know how kind and merciful I am. That's it. all comes back to him. It all comes back to him. And it's totally appropriate that it does. It's inappropriate when we try and make things all co- always come back to us. Because we are the creatures. But he's the creator. So he lavishes, lavishes, lavishes on us. And when we get it, we praise. And all the glory goes to him. Verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. There it is again. Through faith. You've got to believe in Jesus. <laughs> Trust in Jesus is key. Not just you come to a meeting and you walk out again, trusting in Jesus. You've been saved by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Say gift. Yes. Say not reward. No. Say not wages. No. Say gift. Yes. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Any Christian, you just get to talk a bit too much about their prayer life, or their fasting, or their witnessing. Shh. We have one boast and his name is Jesus. Any other boasting is not allowed in the Christian, Christian scene. It's not appropriate. It is not fitting. It is embarrassing. It does not fit. So that no one may boast. It's the grace of God. We've received this as a gift. It's wonderful. This being saved by grace through faith is not our own doing, but the gift of God. This being saved by grace through faith is not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So the Christian ought to be the most confident and yet humble person on earth. Should be confident because we know who we are in Christ, but humbled. Why? Because we know we added nothing to it. We brought nothing to the table. (laughs) Gift. Gift. There it is. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is wonderful. Not a result of us doing works, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're his masterpiece now. This word workmanship, it sums up this idea of someone taking a lot of care, making us into this thing. We are his workmanship, he's at work in us. He really cares what he's doing. He is, it's, like, it's like someone who's, you know the Bible teaches we're made in the image of God, but ruined through sin and being restored through Christ. It's like someone who's, who finds a masterpiece, but it's been like in a loft somewhere, and it's been damaged and bits of uh, uh, peeling off, and other, someone, some kid got a crown and did some things on it, and you think, oh my goodness. But you can say, I think there might be something here. I think, I think there might be something. You take it to an expert, and uh, you know, two years later, after the expert's been sat in a shed for two years, you know, just working, doing all, all the stuff. They come back, you think, ah, oh, I see it now. It's this idea of God being at work in us, restoring. He knows, He knows what it should be like. He knows how it ought. To, he knows how you ought to look. We often think we do. 
He knows how you ought to look. And it will be much more glorious than anything you can come up with about yourself. This, this stuff leaves self-realisation in the shadows. This is God saying, I'm taking you back in and I'm going to work on you and restore my image in you. His workmanship is glorious. No longer an object of wrath, but from object of wrath to masterpiece. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Created for good works. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for them. Good works aren't wrong, but when you try and get saved by them, it becomes really ugly. Because you're basically saying the cross wasn't enough. So you receive this gift we've heard about of grace, and you get made a brand new creation simply by crying out to Jesus. And his work for you on the cross makes you brand new. And then you can begin to walk in the things God has created you to do, which are good works. And they're prepared for you, they fit just right. That we should walk in them. That's an important phrase. Remember verse 2 said that we used to walk in trespasses and sins. Now remember your life for a moment, walking in trespasses and sins. Those of you that are Christians, remember your life before you knew Jesus, when you were walking in trespasses and sins. It took your imagination, didn't it? You used to think, hmm, what shall I do? It took your energy. It took your will. It took your wholehearted engagement. Likewise, our walking in good works. You walked in them, now, now, there's good works, walk in them. Use your imagination. Engage your will. Use your energy. Whatever you do, do not slip into that dreadful mindset Christians can of kind of jobs worth just doing what I can to scrape by. That is a travesty. Oh, what's the bare minimum? What kind of mindset is that? This is your destiny to do good works. This is your destiny. To live well. To, to, to express the... This, this is incredible. To express the very nature, the goodness, the kindness of God to his creation through restored people. That is what a privilege. And I'm not here... I'm not promoting burnout. I'm not promoting crazy living at all. You know, hopefully you've... You've, you've got it. But listen, I am absolutely promoting enthusiastic, zealous good works. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is the heart of God for us. The fact that God has prepared them for us doesn't mean that we're passive in it. So from gathering to pray, that's a good work. To serving on food bank with our GC, that's a good work. To loving your neighbour is a good work. To being more than just a good employee is a good work. To loving your parents and your siblings is a good work. To loving your enemies is a really good work. To being a good and faithful friend is a good work. To preferring others is a good work. To using your gifts to build up the body of Christ is a good work. To lay down your life for the people of God is a good work. All of these things benefit and bring glory to God. This is what you've been and are being prepared for. This is our worship. This is our worship. As much as singing, as much as raising your hands in the air, this is our worship. And a, it brings a wonderful, holistic flavour to our life in Christ. Amen? If you don't know this life in Christ, then you're still, you're still in your trespasses and sins. Which the Bible says we all are outside of Christ. God loves you greatly. God loves you greatly. And has given his only son to die for you and be raised again. 
If you believe and trust in Jesus Christ, and I'm not saying just you believe some facts about him. The word in the Bible for believe denotes trust. It's a, it's a, it's a resting your whole weight on. If you're willing to entrust yourself to Jesus, he will work this miracle in you today. You can leave here regenerated, a new creation. All your arguments will be laid in the dust because once you've been born again, you've been born again. <laughs> you're not who you were. You're not who you are. Come to Jesus. Call out on him. Honour him. And he will do incredible things in your life. And for those of us who do know and love him, well, what better way to respond than acting out this eating his broken body and drinking his blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins? What better way? As we sing now, logistically we are suggesting with the bread and wine because space is not paramount here. Um, (laughs) Probably a good idea is to get, I don't know how you can take the, the drink back to your seat, I don't know how that would work. Okay, so just take the bread, have a sip, and then where you normally might stand around the table and pray, which we do in our normal venue, maybe just go back to your seats and pray. Is that okay? So we'll try and get a bit of, a bit of um, as least congestion as possible. Yeah. So, okay, should we stand to our feet? And just a uh, band's going to come up and we're going to sing some more praises to the Lord for the next little while. It'd be good to just have a moment, I think, of, 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 uh, of quiet. If the Lord has arrested your heart on any of the things I've said, then don't don't put off till later or till tomorrow what you can do in the moment. Open your heart to Him. Allow Him to work in you as He would wish to. Confess your sins if need be, just direct it to Him, or maybe during bread and wine to a brother or sister can pray for each other, minister to each other. Thank you, Lord. Just thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for coming to people in such a state as we were in and making us alive again. Jesus, we can never pay you back. It would be an insult to try. We just honour your amazing work and we know that we love you. We love you, we really do love you. And um, just have our hearts, I pray. Have our heart, Lord. Have our heart freshly, I pray. Have our heart freshly, I pray.